don't look at what's happening now and don't look at what's happening in 30 days, but do your best due diligence on your own market to see what's going to happen in 12 and 18 months and make your own hypothesis, but also like talk to other people both in your industry and outside of your industry of to confirm that the things that are in your gut are right. After mentoring and hiring well over 200 employees and interns at the marketing agency she founded 11 years ago, Ali Danziger created Ampersand Pro in 2020 in order to eliminate the education to employment skills gap that has frustrated her in the past. With skill building courses and mentorship designed for excelling in today's workplace to connect up and coming talent with the companies seeking it, Ampersand is transforming entry-level hiring and onboarding. Coming up, you'll hear how Allie navigated the New York City job market and found her passion for entrepreneurship. Allie shares her experience coaching young professionals and how it sparked her idea for Ampersand. You'll hear about the pros and cons of releasing a free pilot product and take a behind the scenes look at Ampersand's fundraising process with friends and family and tips for keeping investors engaged. And finally, Ali shares her top tips for job readiness. This is the Entrepreneurista Podcast presented by Socialfly. It's the best business meeting you'll ever have with must hear real life looks at how leading women in business are getting it done and what it takes to build and grow a successful company. It's beyond the gram with no filters, no limits, and plenty of surprises. Allie, we are so excited to sit down and have this conversation with you today. I have to share with all of our listeners that we were introduced through a mutual friend and business contact of ours, Alyssa, who put us all in touch. And I, when we had our first conversation together and you shared your story with me, I was like, oh my goodness, you have to come on the podcast and share your incredible entrepreneurista journey because I know so many of your lessons are going to be so helpful for all of our entrepreneurs to hear. So thank you so much for spending the time with us today, Allie. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to chat with you guys and all your listeners too. Allie, I would love if you could take us back to the early days when you were younger. Did you always know that you wanted to be an entrepreneur and have your own business? I think I did, but I didn't know the terminology for an entrepreneur. My parents are not entrepreneurs, but I was working or creating different things within the businesses that I was working at since like as early as I can remember. I had to get a job when I was 16 in order to get a car. That was kind of the deal. And I started working at a kid's bookstore. And right away, I noticed some opportunities that they could grow. And I started running its own like birthday party business within the business at 16 years old. At 17, I met a jewelry designer and I started, I like she was selling her very, very high end jewelry and delivering it in Ziploc baggies. And I started like making boxes for her. And I'll never forget, like my head, my college applications over here. And then like boxes from Hobby Lobby and calligraphy pens that was much bigger. And I was much more excited about those calligraphy pens than the, the college applications. So I didn't know it was entrepreneurialism, but it certainly was. And tell us about your path. What happened next? Did you end up going to college? I did. Yeah. 
I don't think my parents would have been okay with me not going to college, but I was not a great student. I did always like love working more than than school, both in high school and in college, but ended up going to the University of Texas, majoring in public relations with a minor in business. But then from my second semester freshman year on, I had internships in the PR space, just would connect with people, tell them what I was interested in. And yeah, I just had the the great fortune and opportunity to connect with people who gave me a chance from very, very young, early age, and then interned all throughout college with the goal and eye on the prize of moving to New York to work for a PR agency after that. Do you want me to like give the whole story? Yes, like, tell, go tell right, us, jump right into tell it? Tell us what happened. Okay. Yes. Yeah, that would be so helpful. <laughs> okay. So I just was so focused. All I wanted was to to be in New York. I live in Texas mm-hmm. and... Just I grew up going to New York for shows and, and whatnot, and I always wanted to do that right after college. So ended up my junior year, I went to New York to try to interview with a lot of people because my friends are in finance, and I thought that they were getting job offers that like, oh, in PR, you must be able to get a job offer your junior year. Absolutely not. So my junior, the summer between my junior and senior year, I tried to get some interviews, get some opportunities. It turned into great informational networking opportunities, but nothing more than that. The spring break of my senior year, went back to New York, had like 17 interviews that spring break, uh, but nothing came out of it. But I was still like super determined. My parents made me still interview in Houston just as backup. And I did get a job offer there which gave me a little bit more confidence than going back to New York after graduation, interviewed with a bunch of places, got three offers and ended up going to a very small boutique PR agency that had, well, boutique for New York standards that had 40 people at the company. Uh, And I ended up like, fostering that entrepreneurialism there by just seeing like kind of a smaller shop and the scrappiness and getting to know the CEO and just like the way that things work. Well, that was, I graduated in 2007 and I went to go work. The agency was a real estate focused PR agency. And as you might know, the real estate market crashed in 2008. So it was a risky choice to go for this smaller shop in the first place. But then, of course, in that moment, that was really scary. In January of 2008, so I'd been there for four months, five months, they laid off half the staff. It went from 40 people to 20 people overnight. Right before that, it was like blowing and going and so exciting. And pre-Uber, we would like get black cars for these events and unlimited budgets. And it was just outrageous. And then all of a sudden, everything changed. And so I did not get laid off, but I started looking around at other opportunities out there. And right around this time is when social media was starting to become something. And so as I was interviewing and networking, I ended up going to my boss and saying, hey, in the next round of layoffs, you actually can lay me off because I'm a little bit more interested in the social media side of things. And that's where I think the market's going. At 20 three with no, you know, my parents did not agree with this decision. They were like, well, if you lose your job, like that's on you. But I still felt like that was the right call because that's just where really where I thought marketing was going. And she offered me just the most amazing opportunity to build and run their social media department, learn as much as I possibly could about social media, unlimited resources to go to every conference, take anyone to lunch, ended up traveling. And it was just, I learned how to run a meeting, how to do business development, how to run a P&L, how to hire people under the leadership of this amazing woman who taught me everything. 
And so I did that. I ended up helping the company regain so much of the losses that it had suffered by building out this social media department. And in that, that's where I really caught the entrepreneurial bug because I was traveling around the country. I was 22, 23, speaking on all these different panels about social media in the real estate space. There was no one talking about social media and there was definitely no one talking about social media in real estate. And so because of that, I kind of like got this brand about myself. And so people were coming up to me asking me to do freelance work for them in social media for real estate. And my boss, again, was like super supportive and was helping me to like build out contracts and how do you do freelancing work? And it was incredible to have that support. But I did the math that I think every budding entrepreneur does where I was like, hmm, if I quit my full-time job and I did all this freelance work full-time, I would have more flexibility and could make a lot more money. So did the math, used up all my sick and vacation days, and then was forced to make the decision to quit my job and go all in on the freelance work. And so in August of 2009 is when I set up shop with my previous company, my marketing agency called Integrate. And off to the races, we're a traditional PR and social media shop agency. Could not afford to stay in New York without a sustainable income. And so decided to move back to Houston where I'm from and see if this could turn into anything. I didn't I don't know that like honestly and truly was ready when when I reflect back on how I was thinking about it. I wasn't really saying I'm starting this agency. It was just like I'm going to freelance full time until I figure out what I'm going to do. And then had to like hire some people. I was living with my boyfriend. I had like five freelancers or contractors or interns coming to our house every day. And finally, he looked at me. He was like, Ali, I, I think you have a business here. <laughs> like, they can't keep coming to our house every day. I think you need to get an office. And so the next summer, it was like May of 2010, that I finally, like, I got an office. There weren't, there wasn't co working back then. So, like, you had to like commit to a lease and it was a big deal, but ended up getting an office. Another couple months after that, ended up like, putting employment contracts in place a couple of months after that, like a true business plan. And so there was different than the business that I've started now. There wasn't this like, this is what I'm going to do. It just like more as anyone who's building a service businesses know, it's like more clients come in, then you hire more people and then you have the payroll expenses. So then you need more clients and then you get more people. And it's just this like constant cycle that you get on to then you look around and you have 30 employees in a huge office. And it's like, oh my God, what did I just do? <laughs> this is way more stressful than I, I expected it. Lots of mouths to feed here. So that's the background with starting my agency. It was truly an amazing experience growing that agency. Your story uh, is definitely very, very similar to ours. We started our agency back in 2011 on the side of our full-time jobs and really just set out to enjoy working. That was our initial intent. And then the agency just grew. So how big were you able to grow your agency? At its largest, we were 30 people the sweetest spot, and I wonder if you guys agree, was when we were 12. Like I reflect back on that year when we were 12 people in 2014. And that is like my dreamiest year where I felt like I knew everyone very, very well. I had a handle on the clients, the expenses, the personalities associated with all of that. And then I did not love us being in the agency space. I didn't love being that big. I think it's an interesting conversation to have because, I mean, a lot of our, many of our Entrepreneurista League members have service-based businesses and a lot of us go into the service industry because we want to do the work. We want to service the clients. We love that work. And then when you become 15, 20, 25, 30 plus people yeah. as the owner of the business, you end up doing, you know, 
the other things in your business that aren't involving doing the actual work. So it becomes, you know, very, very different. What led you to ultimately decide to sell your agency? So in 2017, I had my first kid and I was kind of like looking around. It was the first time that I really stepped away for a minute, right? It was two weeks of maternity leave. So like, don't don't think that it was like a long time, but I had the opportunity to not be in the day-to-day and reflect on where our expenses were and where, like what clients we were looking for, what as people would leave, like, why did these people leave? Why did these clients leave? What's going on? And notice that, I mean, we did traditional PR and social media, and it was all in this direction of people wanted digital marketing. My my team members were leaving for digital marketing growth opportunities within their careers. My clients needed that. And my biggest expense was to freelancers or contractors in the digital marketing space. And so I was like, okay, we need to bring digital marketing in to this umbrella. So I thought about acquiring a digital marketing shop to bring under under the Integrate brand. And as I was kind of shopping around, looking at talking to lots of different digital marketing groups to acquire, I ended up meeting the gentleman who became my business partner. He had the same business model that I did. He had already raised money and he was going around buying up PR and social media agencies, but he did not know how to run an agency. So he was very attracted to the fact that like, all I've done in my career is work for for 18 months and then run an agency. And so I know the ins and outs of everything that goes on within agencies, how to scale them, when to not, what, like what to do in a good market, what to do in a bad market. Like I've seen it. And so we had breakfast the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. I am the salesperson. I'm the like person who likes to be out there. He's the guy who likes to be working on operations and HR and finance and all that stuff, which that's the stuff, Stephanie, that like when I was in it, I I hated working on that piece of the business. I want to do the work or I want to sell the work. Like I don't want to deal with all the people and the processes and all that. But he loves that. And so we joke, you're like, oh, wouldn't it just be great if we could just do this together? You know, like one of those kinds of casual joking conversations. And then it was Wednesday before Thanksgiving breakfast by one o'clock. He texted me and said, hey, if you want to do this together, I'd love to buy your business. That business was not built to sell. So it was not really ever my intention. I mentioned that it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving because then like everything shuts down and I had five days to really reflect on what do I want to do here? And we met again Monday and the whole process went really quickly because it was just this really nice match where he could run one side, I could run the other, and together we could go take over the world. But what kind of happened in that is all of a sudden, it wasn't totally my baby anymore. And so I got the chance for the first time in my whole life to really think about what I want to do. I went to college for public relations, then I worked for a PR firm, and then I started my own PR firm. And so I've never really thought of myself as anything other than that, but then had time to reflect on lots of different things and realize hmm, maybe there are some other things that that I'm good at out there. When you sold the agency, looking back on that process, is there anything you wish you did differently? I was really, first off, I didn't go to business school. I don't know how, I didn't know how these things work. When I first thought about selling my business, it came in my brain, for whatever reason, I thought of it as a failure. I was like, I can't give this up. Like, this is what I've created. This is my identity. This is everything. Like, it's all I've ever done. People, I didn't have a personal email address. Like, <laughs> that my work email was my only email. And so I think 
it just like educating myself a little bit sooner into the process, even though like the company was not built to sell, just understanding the way that I was thinking about things was the right way, but I just didn't understand it all. So I, and now my new business, we're VC backed, like I'm building it a totally different way. And I guess I wish that I had just known more of kind of like the way the business world works sooner. Did you have anyone help advise you on the sale process once you got down that road? So I'm very fortunate that my husband is actually, he started his career in investment banking. So he very much knows the way that all of this works. And so he was an incredible support to me as well as like, frankly, he managed the process so that me and my business partner could talk about, we could keep the conversations really on like what the merger is going to be like. What are the roles going to be? Really define all of that and talk about the vision for the shared company. And then Eric could advise on like some of the, like he was the one talking to the lawyer. I didn't know. And now with this business, like what's cool is now I do know, and I've learned a lot of that and I've experienced like what some, each of those different pieces of the contract and when you want to negotiate them and when you don't, now I know those things. And that's again, like, I wish I had just educated myself better. There's great books out there and there's obviously so many like amazing podcasts and resources that business owners can. I was so focused in the business for so long that like all I was doing was like, get, let's get more clients. Let's, you know, retain my talent. Let's learn as much as we can about the space that I wasn't growing and developing, frankly, as a business owner and leader for those first 12 years. How long did you stay in the business after you sold? Three and a half years. So I sold January of 2018 and I stepped away May of 2021. It's a long time to stay in a business. Like I'll be totally real. Like as you talk to other founders who have sold their businesses, it's hard to work in the business that you started and that you once led that you are no longer the the leader. So as much as me and my partner, we said, this is going to like, we are running this together as partners. We weren't. And, you know, there can't be two chiefs. There's only one. And he owns a much larger stake in the combined company than I did. And so at the end of the day, it was his company and it's, it's challenging. And there were some, a lot of unforeseen challenges that were just due to like my emotional connection to the baby that I had created, you know, as he made decisions that I didn't agree with. He has every right to make those decisions, but it's hard to watch and not, I was a part of every decision, but not necessarily winning the the fight and not fight, but like the making the choices. Allie, I would love to hear about your new business. How did you get started and tell us all about it? Yeah. So Ambersian really started as like, it was not a business idea. It was just kind of same, I guess same as last time. It was just helping and supporting people where I saw a gap in the market and then evolved into a business. So throughout Integrate, my talent acquisition strategy was always hiring interns and entry-level employees, probably because I started the company when I was 24 years old and had a bit of a complex around hiring people who are much older than me. But so I, I really always started as having interns and really continue to believe in hiring that entry-level talent. There's lots of frustrations that come with that, but have hired probably 250 interns or entry-level employees over the, the course of the last 10 years in the company. And so because of that, I know a lot of, or I'm kind of known in my community that I hire young people. So at the beginning of the pandemic, I was spending most Fridays talking to 
young professionals who had either lost their jobs or internships or were in college and deciding whether or not to go back to school now that everything had gone online. And I felt like this broken record. I was saying the same thing over and over again. Get off your parents' couch. Just go do something valuable and interesting with this time. It's an incredible opportunity for you. And I thought about starting a podcast, but instead decided to get take 10 of those young professionals match them with 10 business owner friends, and then coach them through their internship. Businesses were really reluctant. They were like, I hate working with interns. It's a terrible experience. Interns get a bad rap because everyone's had bad experience with interns. I was like, let me, I'm going to spend four hours a week with them. Tell me all the frustrations that you're having and let me coach them through this. And so I got on Zoom for four hours a week, got some guest speakers and whatnot to speak to them as well and coach them through that entire experience. Seven out of 10 of the young professionals ended up getting a paying job offer at the end of it. And all 10 businesses said that it was the best interns they'd ever had. And so this was all like nights and weekends. I was still running the agency. So the entrepreneurial wheels started turning of like, okay, I know how to hire and retain interns. There's a huge gap in the market. I started looking into the systemic problems that are happening in higher education that Big corporations are the ones who are funding career services. And so then all they're doing is preparing those students for those large corporations' jobs. But then the rest of the 95% of the students at that college do not get the training that they need in order to actually go out to the work world. Same time, like unemployment and underemployment is at an all-time high. Retention is at an all-time low. Like there's just so many issues happening in the higher education space as well as the talent acquisition space. So that was in, at the end of 2020. In early 21, I convinced two folks to quit their paying jobs to come on board for straight equity <laughs> and help me figure this out while I was still running the agency. And so one of the individuals who became my co-founder, I had her basically like teach all the curriculum that I had been teaching. Let's do this again. See if this is repeatable and scalable. And so we had 30 young professionals that we got on Zoom, matched them with internships, same thing. Within a month of me joining the Zooms and watching, I was like, why would anyone watch this? This is so boring. Who's spending four hours a week with us? This is terrible. Because, But sometimes when you're in it, it's too hard to see and you've got to be that observer of it. My next business is, is going to be some way that business owners can be a customer of their own business. I don't know how we're going to do that, but that's like something that's just missing. And as whatever, we can cut that part out, but <laughs> great idea. Everyone should have the opportunity to be a customer of their business. But anyway, so I was on Zoom watching these, thought it was so boring. And so by February of 2021, we started building out an asynchronous training platform to take all of this learning that we are putting out there in Zoom and give it to young professionals in a way that they could consume it, in a way that they want to consume it, in a way that I could take my guest speakers and not have to ask favors of them every quarter. And now we have 50 hours of asynchronous job skills training that teaches young professionals all of the skills that they are not taught in college, that managers don't have the patience or interest in teaching. Things like how to send a calendar invite, how to show up for a meeting, how to take notes in a meeting, what to do when you miss a deadline, how to try and box your calendar, email etiquette. like. Basic, basic stuff that's applicable to every single office job is all within here in a digestible format with three-minute videos, animation, gamification. There's games throughout. There's opportunities for community building and 
Q&A and all that. And so in the summer of 2021, we had 157 professionals on the platform that, so we launched the platform, we had 157 professionals, we matched them with 124 businesses for internships and kind of felt like we are off to the races and, and building this giant empire. But what's amazing about being in this type of business versus a service-based business is I get the opportunity to have data and learn and pivot and change as things evolve and as we see what's actually working and what customers demand. And service businesses, you're pivoting a lot too, but that's more of like with each client, what I saw is like with each client, maybe we did it a little bit differently, improved our processes, got more efficient, got better at what we were delivering. With this, with the scale, like now we have 7,000 professionals on the platform. I can use data now to tell me this is what people want. This is what the businesses, where they're most interested. This is where the schools are most interested. This is where people are spending more time or clicking more. And so it's been a, a really interesting change in the way that I'm able to pivot and make decisions. How do you charge for this service? Yeah. So we weren't. And that's that was the pivot. <laughs> Learned that although a pilot, like you, a lot of times I think business owners, we want to launch something into the market for free um, as a way to to pilot it. As it was free, businesses were not taking us seriously enough and they weren't taking the overall experience seriously enough. And so they were valuing the training that we are offering, but they really were not valuing the talent to the way that I, I needed them to. So where the pivot came into play is less on the matching. We built out this amazing algorithm that matches professionals and businesses based off of data that we extract on professionals as they go through the training. And this can be sometimes really hard for business owners. And it, it was really hard for me because we spent all this time and money and resources, conversations, building this incredible algorithm to create kind of like a dating app between young professionals and internship opportunities. But nobody wanted it and nobody would pay for it. Um, and it works really, really well. But you have to pivot your business to what what the market is interested in, not just what your thesis believes. And my thesis is still very strong and I still believe that there's a market for it. But where we've pivoted is now we're working directly with employers to upskill their talent and to really help to democratize that training and that opportunity and ability to hire entry-level talent and interns. Because once they put them through our training platform, then businesses of any size, whether it's a solopreneur who wants one intern to help support them, or it's a giant enterprise who's hiring 200 interns at the same time, both of them can put the professionals through the training platform and know that they can succeed day one of the role. I have an idea for you, and maybe you've already done this. So like ADP, Trinet, and Sparity, they're all PEOs, and they offer a lot of trainings through their platform. But I feel like those type of companies would want to license your software to use for all the businesses that they work with. Yes. If any decision makers from any of those businesses are listening right now, we'd love that. Well, we, we know some, some so we can connect you. <laughs> Great. We're working with some smaller PEOs and we work with staffing agencies okay. because it helps the staffing agency place better talent and then be more, have better retention with their clients. So we work with staffing agencies, some PEOs, we work with large enterprises, we work with startups. We do still work with the universities to help support their career services by upskilling their students. So that way, when they place or help that student get a job with one of their alumni or with a company who comes to them and says, I need a top student, it really broadens the network of who they can put forward for those opportunities because they have the hard skills, but then we provide those wraparound services and the soft skills. 
Allie, can you share more about the fundraising process? I know you went a different route from what you did with your agency business, bootstrapping the business to then raising VC money. Can you share more about what that experience was like and any learning lessons? Absolutely. Lots. So I raised $750,000 from friends and family in March of 2021. It's really hard and scary to ask friends and family for money. And I was really intentional with the people that I went to and the ways that I had those conversations to say, look, we are like dinner, family dinners. When I see you with your kids at the pool, it can't be a board meeting. So I don't want to talk about ampersand every time that we see each other. So if you're okay investing, knowing that that has to be the relationship between us, that's the only way that, that we can move forward. But it's very hard. The $750,000 that I raised from from those friends and family, that's what keeps me up at night, right? Like Because it's, it's family members, it's friends, it's people who I have deep relationships with that I can't let them down. I won't. So that was in, in March of 2021. And then in September of 2021, under the same convertible note, we extended that round and raised another million dollars from both a VC fund as well as a strategic family office. The strategic family office, they own a bank. And they see value in the data that we're collecting off of all of these young professionals and entry-level professionals and the way that we stay in touch with those entry-level professionals throughout their career. So as we ultimately create a predictive link between going through Ampersand, getting your first job, keeping that job, getting promoted, and then starting to pay off debt, whether that's student loans or buy a house, et cetera. And the other was a female-focused VC based here in Houston that I have a personal relationship with. And so... Raising VC money is very, very challenging, but the fact that I had that existing relationship, of course, made it a lot, lot easier. We just went through the fundraising process over the past couple of months, and I was trying to raise $3 million, and it was really challenging to find a lead investor. It's been very challenging to find a lead investor. We had $2 million in soft commitments, and every single person was like, yep, I'm in. When, once you have a lead. Let me know once you get that lead. And it's, I mean, it's just been a fascinating experience to see how few funds will lead. And so as the market has continued to turn and frankly decline and VCs are hiding under their desks and offering like terrible valuations, we decided to pause on that fundraise, extend our pre-seed round under those same terms that we did last year again, make it super easy for existing investors to re-up their investment, maybe get some new investors in as well. And I just want to be over the fundraising process for a little bit, um, get back to building this business, focus on our sales efforts, focus on develop, continuing to develop our product, and then go back out to the VCs when the time is right. And what's great about this, the way that we're going about it, in my opinion, is I now have amazing relationships with like the top 50 ed tech and future of work VC funds as we went through this raising, you know, before. And I got great feedback. They told me exactly what they need me to have to come back with in order for them to lead the round and the other ones who said that they would be in with a lead. And so now my strategy is whatever they told me that they needed, I'm doubling that. And I'm raising this additional round so that I can not just meet what they told me to do, but double it by the, you know, before we run out of money again. And so it gave me better insight into what they're looking for from my business specifically, which is different than like what you can read in TechCrunch or any of these articles out there. And so whenever the market comes into a better place, 
it's an easy phone call. And I'm staying in touch with all of them on a once a month at least basis so that they ampersand stays top of mind to them. And hopefully it'll it'll be an easier fundraise once once we're we've built the traction that they were looking for and the market's in a spot that they're ready to invest again. How do you stay in touch with them monthly? Do you have a system that you use or a CRM? Maybe, kind of. I've been using Pipedrive yeah. and I have them like in different columns of like how often I want to stay in touch with them. And then, you know, like you have, I have an investor newsletter that I send out and I don't put them on the investor newsletter. I then forward them the investor newsletter with like a little personalized snippet right above. But like some, you know, I follow up with regularly some like I, my co-founder lives in Austin. So every time I go to Austin, I reach out to them. They don't want to meet with me, but at least it's like a reason for me to reach out to them and say, hey, if you're around, we'd love to buy you a cup of coffee. And it just puts me back in their inbox and top of their radar. I'm pretty involved in the Houston startup scene. And so a lot of times, like if I see them at an event or whatnot, I'll take a picture, post that on LinkedIn, tag them so that there's, you know, that also kind of reminder, not just to them, but to their other partners at the fund. Can you explain and elaborate on what it means to be the lead investor and why other VCs might not participate without a lead? Yeah. And hey, I may not be the expert here. So you guys yeah. chime in if, if I have it I, wrong. I'm but, asking because I don't know. And I would imagine yeah. some people listening okay. probably don't know either. Yeah. So the lead is the one who sets the terms to the deal. They are the ones who put the money out to hire the lawyer and to like really do the initial stage of due diligence and determine what the valuation is for the company and then what all the terms of that that fundraise will look like. And then everyone else follows along on those same deal terms. There's really not room for negotiation. So for me, like the other two million who had all committed, I wouldn't have let them negotiate the deal terms individually. It makes it easier for me as a founder because I only have one person that I negotiate one round of contracts with, but one has to like basically like front the cash and the time to then set to write the contract. Then they usually take a board seat, which means that they are much more involved in the day-to-day of running the business, which means to the CEO, like they can fire me. They're my boss. So they have to be willing to both spend the money as well as the time into the deal. And then hopefully as a founder, hopefully like if they've put that much energy into it at the front end, hopefully then they're committing yeah. too to put that much time on a regular basis to be my partner in running the business. And so, yeah, essentially a lot of these funds that don't lead, they just want to follow because they don't want to put the time, energy, investment into doing all the initial due diligence, but then they have to be willing to follow whatever the deal terms are that the the lead set or were negotiated between the lead and the founder. So interesting. Would you say that it's easier running your second business than your first business or faster faster because you had all the learnings from the first one? So starting this business has just been so different because even though I can move so much faster, I didn't have kids last time around and it really was just me. So I would work so much um, to the point where, you know, I drove myself to exhaustion as well as my probably drove my team crazy. But I my I didn't have kids. My husband traveled four days a week. So I would you know, work late and then come home, work some more, wake up early, work some more. I mean, I worked out, but like other than that, I just didn't have other things that I needed to do. And now I have to be home or I 
I want to be home every night with my kids. It's really important to me that I see them every morning. I do have to travel a lot for work, but like I was just at a conference earlier this week, I went for the shortest amount of time possible because I wanted to be home with my kids. And before I probably would have stayed all week and continued networking. So that part of it is definitely different and hard, but I'd say like, yeah, there's things I know. Who knows, you know, what's happening in the market and if we're going to be in a recession. I've gone through two before. Like I've run a business through two major downturns. So I know what to do. I actually thrive in that kind of environment. And so, you know, I think having those past experiences both help me with what to do and not be as like nervous. I can move faster through new challenges because most of the time I've been there before. And I also have a lot more confidence when new things pop up because I know that like, all right, I'll figure this one out just like I figured everything else out. So Allie, I know that all of our listeners want to know this right now. Tell us your tips for what to do if you're running a business during a recession. What are your, what are your secrets? (laughs) I think just trust your gut. When you are feeling like, you know, clients are going to fire you soon or, you know, I'm going to like, if you see it, you know, your business better than anyone else and you know what your market is going to do. And when I look back at the past two times that you know, I experienced this. I knew in my gut and I didn't act fast enough. I didn't get rid of people fast enough. I signed big leases for my office or I decided to invest in certain technologies or whatnot because I thought like, oh, we're, we're going to be okay. I can work my way through this. But I, you know it in your gut and make those decisions faster. You see these big tech companies doing these layoffs. It's not because things are happening in their business today. It's because they can look 6, 12, 18 months into the future and know what's going to happen. I'm not saying like go lay everyone off, but I'm just saying look, don't look at what's happening now and don't look at what's happening in 30 days, but do your best due diligence on your own market to see what's going to happen in 12 and 18 months and make your own hypothesis, but also like talk to other people both in your industry and outside of your industry of to confirm that the things that are in your gut are right and and make smart decisions. Like don't over invest where you don't have to and just ride it out. And they always turn back, like it's going to come back. So make sure that like you're making the right decisions. Like, I mean, I'll just speak to like a PR and social media agency. What are the industries that are recession proof? Stop. Don't focus on the companies and going after the type of business that are not recession proof and that are going to be going through the same type of struggles that you are. But how can you survive by going to the recession proof industries or some industries are going to thrive right now? Focus there. That is such great advice. All right, Allie, we're going to do a few rapid fire questions. The first word or words that come to your mind. Are you ready? Yes, I guess so. (laughs) How would your friends describe you in three words? Passionate, fast moving, get you done, if I'm allowed to say that. You can say whatever you want. That's not really a word, but and focused on whatever it is. What is the app you can't live without? Spotify. All right. Very important question. Coffee or tea? Coffee. Four times a day at my co-working space that I'm at. I'm the only person who wants the three o'clock cup of coffee and everyone in the building makes fun of me because they have to make a whole pot just for me. (laughs) What is your favorite business tool that has transformed your business? So it hasn't so much transformed my business, but I use Boomerang and what is now the snooze feature in my email like nonstop. 
that is the way that I organize myself. It's the only way that I can stay on top of what I'm supposed to do. It's my to-do list. It's how I hold myself and other people accountable. Oh, good to know. I'm going to have to check those ones out. And finally, what is your superpower? I love helping other people become the best versions of themselves. It's, you know, what I did in my previous company. It's what I'm doing now at a much larger scale. I love doing it one-on-one with people. And either that, if that's through connections, through training, through motivating them, that's what I love to do. And I think when you love to do it, it becomes your superpower. I love that. All right. Back to our regular questions now. Allie, do you have a mantra or a quote that you live your life by? I actually do. Experience the experience is my life motto. Mm. Came up with it when I was like in middle school and everyone thought I was crazy for having a quote that I lived by. But to me, what that means is live the moment for the moment. Like even if it's shitty and you don't want to be in that moment, be in that moment as much as possible and as best as possible. And when it's great, experience that and be grateful for that, but don't live for that those mm-hmm. moments too much. It does mean that I'm late almost everywhere I go because I lose track of time because I'm in that particular moment. Um, well, you were on time for the podcast recording. So uh. <laughs> great. Great. But like I have alarms set for myself when I'm in conversations or networking events or in meetings to keep myself on task. But I I try to live that mantra every day. What is something our audience would be surprised to learn about you? I wake up at 4.30 or 5 every day because I love the two hours or so before my kids wake up to have that time to myself. Once my kids wake up at 7, I do not stop talking until the end of the day, you know, until I go to bed at night with whatever I'm doing. And so that time is like my special time. I get to like be an introvert and not talk to a soul. And sometimes I'm getting work done. Sometimes I'm doing yoga. Sometimes I'm doing nothing. But that is my favorite time of day. You must be a morning person to be committed to waking up at 4.30 or 5. What time do you go to bed at night? Oh, I wish it was earlier, but like 9.30, 10. Well, that's still good. I guess you're getting enough sleep. pretty early. Yeah, (laughs) that is pretty early. (laughs) Finally, Allie, what does being an entrepreneurista mean to you? I think it's about surrounding yourself with people and learnings to become a better entrepreneur, to become a better leader. And I think it's just amazing that you guys have created this incredible community of fellow founders and fellow entrepreneurs who are all dealing with a lot of the same struggles. As I mentioned before, I was so focused on growing my first business that I didn't build that community. I didn't take the time to like listen to podcasts and read books and and do all of that. And it's so valuable and it's so important. And I'm just honored to be here speaking with you guys and being a small part of what you're creating. Well, thank you so much for taking the time and sharing all of these incredible learnings and stories and the information you've shared has been so valuable. I feel like I always learn so much from all of our entrepreneurs. So truly appreciate sure. everything that you shared. Ali, where can everyone find you and follow you? And for entrepreneurs that might be interested in Ampersand and using the platform for their business, what's the best way for them to reach out? Yeah. So our website is ampersandpro.com, not the symbol of an ampersand, but actually spelled out. Uh, And then I'm really active on LinkedIn and Instagram. So my name is A-L-L-I-E-D-A-N-Z-I-G-E-R. And you can find me through those channels. We'll be linking out to everything in our show notes below. So definitely check the show notes for all of the links that Allie just shared. Allie, thank you again for being here. I'm Stephanie. 
And I'm Courtney. And this is the best business meeting we've ever had. Hey, thanks for listening and leaving us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate it. And we'd love to stay in touch with each of you. You can listen to all of our latest episodes at entreprenista.com and connect with us on Instagram at entreprenistas. We'd also love to invite you to join the Entreprenista League, our private membership community for trailblazing women. You can head over to entreprenista.com forward slash the league. We'll see you there. Wishing you a productive week ahead. Mm-hmm.